And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. Of course, uh, it's the last week of August. As we get ready to wrap stuff up. Kids back in school. Everybody complaining now. Right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, school. Yeah, well, you know, summer's over. Get back to work. So anyway, everybody's going back to school, uh, getting back to normal. September right around the corner, of course. Labor Day coming up. Uh, Monday is Labor Day, correct? Oh, sorry, two weeks. Two weeks Labor Day. So two, two weeks to go. Oh, that's right. This week's only the 22nd. I'm, I'm two weeks ahead. Last, last two weeks of the month. Anyway, everybody's back to school. Um, anyway, just getting kind of ready to wrap up the month. And of course, the first two weeks of August have been pretty weak in terms of the markets. And so we'll talk a little bit about that this morning and kind of what to expect next. Um, the uh, good news over, the, over uh, Friday, we did re successfully rescue Rocky the raccoon out of the fireplace. So actually, uh, got the, the scratching kind of got weak. And so we just opened up the flu and he crawled out. And we just opened up all the doors of the house and put the dogs in the bedroom and he crawled his way out of the house very slowly. So the animal remo removal people didn't even have to get involved. They, we didn't, we did, they didn't have to move out. We just opened the door and he went outside and disappeared. So wow, he was completely black. <laughs> he was just I'll a ball bet. of soot. That's all he was. <laughs> so anyway, uh, just to let you know, our, my, my saga from Rocky the Raccoon now has has been resolved and he's all good so Did you check the 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 top of the chimney for now that's next we screen. got guys coming out this yeah. week to put the grate back on the roof so on, on the ceiling because you know that's just our rental property so ah, yes. we just rent there we don't own that house yeah. so um yeah so we've texted the, the landlord and said hey this is what happened and they're like oh my gosh so yeah send us the bill we'll get it fixed so anyway yeah so next step is to repair the grate on top of the fireplace so he doesn't find his way back in the house so it's all good. It's all good. Anyway, just thought y'all like to know that he did successfully survive, and uh, his 13 days in the mine have now come to a conclusion. Bet he doesn't do that again. <laughs> exactly. Well, you never know. Anyway, I don't know what he was looking for, but he didn't find it. <laughs> so, but he is alive. Anyway, a uh, couple other big things kind of going on uh, as we get ready to wrap up the month. We have Jackson Hole Summit coming up, of course. That is the annual confab for the, for the Federal Reserve. Of course, all eyes on Jackson Hole of what Jerome Powell is going to say about interest rates, right? What is the, the, the next move for the Fed? Are they, are they convinced now that inflation is now under control? Are they worried about inflation surging? So that's going to, you know, we'll all be kind of very closely eyeing whatever speech that Jerome Powell gives, you know, at Jacksonville. Now, just as a reminder, this time last year, the markets were rallying sharply in August, as, you know, heading into Jacksonville on the expectation that Jerome Powell was going to cut rates or at least hint at stopping rate hikes and starting to cut rates. Of course, uh, that was, as we talked about at this time last year, that, you know, he tore up his speech 15 minutes before Jackson Hole and gave a new speech that he just kind of threw together saying, not only are we not done hiking rates, it's probably gonna get a lot worse. And that was where markets sold off after that into October, where we kind of marked the final lows for last year's decline. So here we are once again, markets heading into Jackson Hole, a little bit different this time. We're actually kind of selling off right now. We're gonna talk about that in just a minute. 
But uh, again, you know, will Jerome Powell change his tune, so to speak? And of course, you know, the market's still heavily hoping for the Fed to be getting cutting rates by next year. Um, and by the end of 20, you know, by the end of 2024, early 2025, the Fed will be back, be back down to one, one and a half percent in terms of the Fed funds rate. Lots of issues with that, of course, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But again, this, and this is kind of just the important thing is that we just kind of drift from one piece of news to the next in the markets. And with earnings season over, we've seen basically, you know, for the most part, markets kind of refocusing uh, for the moment anyway on some economic data and markets have kind of been drifting here a bit over the last week or so, um, particularly as we kind of still see some weakness in the economic data. So uh, again, you know, this has really just been a, a bit of a, a bit of a pullback here. But here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Um, as we talked about in July, we were expecting as the markets were hitting this peak that a correction was due and that we would have a three to five percent correction well as of last week we've basically completed about a five percent correction roughly and we're coming down to retest that kind of support uh right there at the 100 day moving average so again you know everything here so far has been completely normal in terms of this correction and again it's what you would expect in any given year could the market correct some more Sure, absolutely, that is that is possible, but not likely at this point without a little bit of a reflexive rally first. As we talked about in this past weekend's newsletter, um, we would expect a bit of a rally this week. Just nothing more than really kind of an oversold bounce. And, and this is because the markets are getting fairly oversold on a relative strength basis. So we've kind of really worked off a lot of that overbought condition back in July when markets were kind of running at their peak. We've now worked a lot of that off. Sentiment has also reversed. We saw a lot of that more bullish sentiment now kind of pulling back both retail investors as well as, as uh, professional investor sentiment. That's now kind of come back to more neutral areas. So again, a very quick reduction in sentiment, uh, a sell-off in the market took markets from overbought to oversold. So that kind of gives you that fuel that you need for a bit of a rally here over a few days. Now, I would use that rally at this point, anything back up to 4440 on the S&P 500, which is where that 20-day moving average is currently kind of sitting, um, you know, I would I would certainly use that rally for a bit of risk reduction. You know, rebalance your portfolio risk a bit if you need to. Um, you know, rebalance your holdings a bit if you need to. Just kind of think about where we are heading into the end of the year, um, and then we'll probably get a little bit more weakness in the month of September. Um, as we kind of go through that period, September tends to be a bit of a rough month. And again, if, if Jerome Powell is much more hawkish at, at Jackson Hole, that could also lead to some additional weakness in the month of August as well. I mean, the month of September as well. So again, doing a little bit of work on rebalancing your portfolio risk, et cetera, um, would not be surprising. Now, another thing here also too, is that in bullish trending markets, which obviously we've been in since October, um, the MACD sell signal oscillates. And we talk about our MACD signal, which is the moving average convergence divergence indicator. And that just basically measures the spread between mo two moving averages. Um, that oscillates kind of up and down. So from a high level, you get a sell signal. Uh, it's a good opportunity to, to reduce some risk in portfolios. That's what we were talking about here back in, in July, that we had that sell signal and that suggests a little bit of risk off move for the markets. We're now getting fairly oversold on an indicator kind of towards the normal bottom of its oscillation range during a bull market. So again, when markets are trending higher, 
the oscillations tend to be a lot narrower than what we see during bearish markets where you have much bigger oscillations uh, at that time because, because prices are falling pretty quickly. So again, you know, back during bull markets, we have fairly narrow kind of, of oscillations in that indicator, and we're back towards that kind of normal low for a bullish trending market. So all these things kind of line up to suggest we're due for a rally here. We could trigger a short-term buy signal. That if, so if you need to add some portfolio equity exposure, probably an okay place to do that here over the next few days. But be aware, we're probably going to have a little bit more volatility risk uh, in the month of September, a bit more sloppiness, weakness. So again, be a little bit cautious here. Kind of measure your risk accordingly. Rebalance portfolios as you need to. Um, but again, you know, there's nothing wrong with this correction. I've seen a lot of real bearish headlines like, you know, bull market's over, bear market's back. Nah, not really. This is just that correction within a bullish trending market. Nothing's really changed at this point. So just manage risk accordingly, and then we'll just navigate it as we go from here. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. So when we come back, we'll get into a bit of our stories this morning. Got an interesting one about vacations for millennials. We'll talk about why that is a weird thing. Talk about that after the break. Don't go away. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. See you then. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show this morning. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, on the show with, you know, myself, with both Danny and Richard do this a lot, talking about, you know, preparing for retirement, you know, being in retirement, those type of things. And we also talk a lot about, you know, responsive, financial responsibility and, and, you know, doing the right things, right? And, and it's always interesting because, you know, I was, I was having a conversation with, a person this weekend and they were talking about, you know, their parents and, and, you know, their parents are always struggling to get by and they can never make ends meet for the most part. And there's just, you know, always something kind of going on. And, and so, you know, the conversation kind of, you know, shifted towards, you know, what are the things they're doing that are keeping them in this kind of, you know, the cycle of oppression, so to speak. And, you know, it started talking about, you know, they're making investments in Bitcoin and NFTs and, you know, and, and you know, instead of investing in, you know, just a, a good solid portfolio of stocks and bonds, it, it was always the most speculative ideas. I and mean, they were always gambling on stuff and, of course, losing most all the time. And it was always the hope that, oh, one, boy, if one of these things pay off, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm just waiting for my one ticket. My, you know, I'm waiting for my, my ship to come in. And, you know, they're always, you know, spending way beyond their means, um, doing, you know, taking, you know, lavish trips and doing all this type of stuff. And instead of focusing on the, the things that are important, about you know building wealth over time and part of that is a function of sacrifice and that at some point you know you've got to kind of sacrifice today for what you want tomorrow and and this isn't anything revelatory here i mean we're not you know we're not saying anything here that that everybody doesn't already know 
It's just a function of those who do these things versus those who don't. And they lead to very different outcomes. But then when we make this consistent slate of poor decisions, we then want to blame everybody else for the outcome, right? So, well, it's not my fault that I'm in this situation. It's, you know, corporation's fault. It's, the, you know, it's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. You know, I, 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 you know, can't keep a job. That's not my fault. It's the company's fault that they don't, they don't run their business right and hire me. You know, it's always, it's always kind of the victim attitude, no matter where you kind of look, right? It's always this kind of victim attitude that surrounds this wealth problem. And again, we, we've talked about this before, is that if you make $30,000 a year in America, you're in the top 1% of income earners worldwide. Now, this isn't a wealth problem, right? It's a behavioral problem. And it's a function of, you know, we all think that we deserve to live well beyond our means. And, and the problem is, is that we have now inducted an entire generation of people into this way of thinking. And actually, I should say two generations, because it's not only millennials, now it's Gen Z, that we have basically helicoptered mom over and we have you know, paid for everything and we have, uh, have, have done everything they wanted and we never made them go to work and, and work for the things that they wanted. We just paid for them. I mean, I, I've told you the stories about when I was living out in Katy with my kids that, you know, when my kids turn 16, I require them to go to work and they have to buy their own car. And, you know, for the down payment for the car, we match them on the down payment. So whatever they can come up with working, we'll match them on the down payment. But then their car note and their insurance is theirs, and they have to pay for that. And, and that's not easy at 16 because you can't get a lot of jobs at 16. So you're working a lot of hours being a lifeguard, which doesn't pay well, right? But if you want the car, this is the responsibility that goes along with the car. Now, once you turn 18, they could start waiting tables and they could do those type of things to make a lot more money. And life got a lot easier at 18. And then, of course, when they went to college, they've got to pay for college and their car. So, you know, this is this is all part of the lessons of growing up. But when we lived out in Katy, a lot of very wealthy parents live out in Katy, right? And and so, you know, kids were 16-year-old kids were coming to our house in brand new G Wagons, you know, that cost a hundred grand, right? And and I'm like, looking at these kids going, well, what, what are you learning here? Well, they're not learning anything, right? They're just learning an entitlement. Oh, I'm entitled to this. I'm in, and, and I can't tell you how many kids told me, it's like, boy, when I turn 16, I can't wait. I'm going to get my first brand new car. And I'm, and of course my kids are coming to me and saying, Hey dad, you know, Jimmy's getting a brand new G wagon. I've got to drive this 2002 Jeep, right? Jeep Liberty. And you know, and I'm like, well, you know, life isn't fair, but, you know, this is, you, you can have whatever you earn, right? And, and, and this is kind of the point. And, you know, it, it's kind of that cycle that we've now pushed. And I saw an interesting video over the weekend, and it was a young millennial person, and, and she was asking this question on the internet. She goes, how did you, being Gen X and, and baby boomers, how did, how did y'all avoid the, the 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 kind of the demographic war we've got going on right now 
And of course, you know, no matter where you look right now, it's just, you know, this is a problem and racism is a problem and that's a problem and, so, and wealth inequality is a problem. And, and we just got problems galore, right? And if, and if you kind of really dig down into it and, and look at what is put onto social media, the war is really mostly made up between individuals and groups. And we're just using made up facts to just fight over instead of really saying, OK, look, you know, I, I got some problems. I need to fix it. Now it's no longer, you know, the, the, the war that we're having, right, is no longer about here's a real problem that we should solve as society. It's a lot of made up problems that are the excuses to support my victimization, this is my problem, and it's not my fault because this is what's happening, right? And it's somebody else's fault. It's another group's fault. It's this person's fault again. It's, it's, it's everybody's issue but mine. I'm just the victim here. And, and, and so this is, this is kind of where we are. And so we've taught really bad lessons to a whole generation of kids that are growing up by coddling them, paying for everything. And we were told it was our responsibility, Right. And I've told you the stories before about, you know, the when I have these meetings with parents and I'm like, you can't afford to pay for your kid's school. You're going to be in the poorhouse. Right. Well, it's my responsibility. No, it's not your responsibility to pay for your kid's school. Nobody ever said that. There is not a law on the books that says paying for your kid's college is your responsibility. Even in divorce. Right. Your responsibility ends at 18. When they turn 18, they're done. Right. So. Who said it was your responsibility, right? Society did. We, we put it on ourselves. And we've put it on ourselves in a way that now it's pushing people into very big problems financially later on in life because we have an elevated sense of entitlement in our younger years that we are due a house. We, 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 we all should be able to afford a house. We should all be able to afford nice cars. We should all be able to do this. And that's not the way the world works. And I thought it was interesting because there was a article out over the weekend. Uh, this was in Newsweek. And the title of the article is, Our Parents Should Pay for Vacations. I'll, I'm just going to read to you from the article because it's priceless. Exclusive polling. Exclusive polling by Newsweek has revealed that 50% of millennials believe parents should pay for them to go on family vacations. The millennial generation, currently aged 27 to 42, is often characterized as technology-driven, entrepreneurial, and inclusive. Many have had to contend with a huge amount of debt and financial challenges of adulthood. Oh, my gosh. Financial challenges and debt of adulthood. Yeah, it's part of being an adult. This is what we do. And the financial challenge is, is making ends meet, living within your means, those type of things. And you know what? It's not easy. And this is what we, we've been trying to teach our kids is like life is not easy. You know, this this when you're living in the house and you're paying for everything for your kids, you're paying for their phone bill, you're paying, you know, you don't charge them rent. Then you let them come home from college and live with you for a few years and you're still paying for everything. You're not teaching them any lessons. You're not, te you're not preparing them for what the real world is like. And, the, and this is the problem. We've, we've created a whole generation of kids that we never prepared for life. 
We never, we never gave them the challenges to overcome. We protected them. This is one of the things that we've talked about before is that, you know, when you're growing up back in the 60s and the 70s, you weren't allowed to come home after school until dark. You were told to get out of the house. <laughs> you weren't allowed to come back. And that's why we had to drink out of the garden hose, right? You couldn't go in the house. That's the only place you could get water from. You know, they had to have a commercial on at 10 o'clock at night to remind parents where their kids were. But, you know, we were faced with these challenges. You had a problem with another kid, just solved it on the street corner or behind the school, right? There weren't parents in there, you know, sorting it out for you. But this 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 bred a whole generation of people that could deal with the harshities of life. And now we've raised a whole generation. It's like, well, you know, I can't afford it. And I will tell you this is that we take a lot. We take family vacations with our kids, you know, every year. And we tell we are telling our kids now as they are in college. Now, they can still go with us on vacation while they're in college, but we are already preparing them that once they graduate college, they are more than welcome to go on vacation with us. They will be paying their own way if they want to go. Because it's part of being an adult. All right, got to wrap it up. Be right back after the break. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show this morning. It's that time of the year. About once a year, about this time, uh, we always start getting the reports out about how many 401k millionaires there are, right? This year's no different. The number of people with 1 million or more, this is from uh, Yahoo Finance this morning. The number of people with 1 million or more saved in 401k accounts leapt 10% from April to the end of June. It's according to Fidelity Investments. That was also a 13% pop in millionaires with IRA accounts held at the firm during the same time frame. More folks can now retire as millionaires. Kind of lead-in sentence. So, sounds, sounds impressive, right? A lot of people out there with a lot of money. Or is it? See, this is the problem with these articles like this, is that they don't give you the statistics behind it, and they don't really give you the data this makes a great headline um and it isn't just newly I, I continue on reading it isn't just newly minted millionaires who have something to crow about for a third straight quarter fidelity reported retirement account balances have increased for all street uh, all savers well that's because guess what markets have been up for three straight quarters <laughs> that's according to the company's second quarter analyst uh so Let's talk about some real numbers here. And you can, do, you can do this math yourself. You don't have to trust me. 
So first of all, the number of 401k millionaires is up, obviously, because if I was close to the million dollar mark to begin with and markets rally for three straight quarters, then I'm probably going to grow $950,000 into a million dollars. So just the function of growth is going to certainly equate to that. Second thing is the number of 401k millionaires is well below the peak of what we saw at January of 2022. And obviously, the number of 401k millionaires ebbs and flows. If you overlay the chart of 401k millionaires, it looks like what? The stock market. <laughs> it's a very high correlation. But here's the, other, the rest of the numbers. You have to take that number of people, right, and divide it by all the retirement plans that Fidelity manages. And if you do that, what you're going to find out is what you would expect to find out, that it's about 1%, which is about what is going on within the economy, right? The, the vast majority of wealth, the number of people that have more than a million dollars, you know, top 1%, 2% of the economy. And so this number sounds great. It's like, wow, we're just printing millionaires right and left in the economy with 401k plans. But it's exactly what you would expect. It's people that have been contributing for 20 or 30 years. This is, you know, the, the number of 401k millionaires, you're not going to find a 35-year-old guy in there. Because you can only contribute so much to your 401k plan every year, and it's only going to grow so much. So it's just a function of time that you've been investing. Now, if you've got company stock options in there, or, or not company stock options, but you have company stock in there and you happen to have, you know, you happen to work for, a, you know, an NVIDIA, as an example, you may be young with a million dollars in your 401k plan because of the value of the stock. But on average, what you're going to find, it's about one, one and a half, two percent of the entirety of all the 401k plans that are out there. So, be, and, and, and you know this, why? Because you have to go into the rest of the data. The average 401k balance. So again, we have, we're talking about these 401k millionaires, which means you've got to have some people that are 401k millionaires, and you've got to have a bunch of other people in there that aren't, but they have high balances. And then you've got an equal number of people below a certain level to get the average, right? What's the average? You know, I take 10 numbers, I add them all up, right? And divide it by 10, I get the average. So if, if, if there's a ton of people that are 401k millionaires, right? Then the average balance should probably be what? Half a million dollars, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, somewhere in there, right? I mean, if you've got if 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 all these people are millionaires, then you should have a pretty high average balance in four hundred one k plans. That that should be. I mean, it, it it shouldn't be a real problem. But that's not the case. See, take all these numbers, add them up, get your average. What's your average? The average four hundred one k balance was one hundred and twelve thousand dollars. Now, let's go back to how you get an average. 
you got to have a lot of numbers above that number, and you got to have a lot of numbers below that number. But your average balance is $112,000, which is about two years' worth of average incomes for most Americans. So if they retired today, the average 401k participant would have about two years' worth of income to live on. But see, that's even kind of deceiving because, again, see that, that top 1% to 2% of those 401k millionaires that are out there? It's skewing the whole average higher. So we need to use a median on that number. And that strips out the, the highs and it strips out the, the, the guys with no money in their 401k plan, right? They've got like 10 bucks. Let's strip those guys out because they're skewing the average. Let's strip out the guys with a million dollars. It's about $65,000, which is about one year's worth of income. And so, see, that gives you a much better picture. The, these headlines are always great about, we, you know, there's more 401k millionaires than there were last year. Yeah, true. It's still a very small percentage of the overall economy. And it's in line with the wealth statistics that we put out all the time. I mean, you know, we know from looking at all the data that people don't save money. Look, look we just had this conversation about... Millennials wanting parents to pay for vacation. Katie Robertson, a self-employed ceramicist who runs her own business, told Newsweek that her parents paid for her and her son to go on vacation with them. We just couldn't afford to go otherwise as I just can't really afford to pay for anything. My business is not as successful as I'd hoped it would be. Well, And this is, this is common for most Americans, right? Most people are just trying to make ends meet. The cost of living is going up. Wages have risen, but they're not keeping up with the real cost of living. And of course, the cost of living, as we just discussed, has gotten way out of hand because we expect to have a much higher standard of living than what we can actually afford. But this is, this is all part of this generational problem we have going on and it's a problem that ultimately we want to blame everybody else right let's talk about 401ks for a second it's everybody else's fault that i don't have more money in my 401k plan is it or are you not contributing the maximum amount you can every month to your 401k plan and then living on the balance of your income. It's tax it's tax deferred. It's coming right off the top of your paycheck before you even bring it home. So you're not even paying taxes on that money. And if you contribute to a 401k plan and don't pay tax on that money, your bring home pay, you'll be surprised, is not that much degraded after you wind up paying taxes. But, see, we have to make that conscious decision that I'm going to fully fund my 401k plan and then I'm going to have to live on the balance. And whatever I can live on on the balance, well, that's what I've got to live on. And I may have to go get a second job. See, this was the thing, you know, when, when my parent, when I grew up with my parents, as an example, my mom worked, she sold real estate. My dad worked at a warehouse for Dow Chemical. He would then come home, he would go teach tennis 
He was like the, the tennis professional for the entire town I lived in. So he'd go teach tennis at night until nine, you know, eight or nine, he'd get home when, the, when they, uh, you know, closed the courts. Then he would string rackets for people until midnight, and then he'd get up the next day and do it all over again. But that's how we made ends meet. And we lived in a very small 1,100-square-foot, one-and-a-half-bath house. We drove very modest cars. No credit card debt. Had the mortgage. That was it. And, I mean, it was tough making ends meet. I mean, I would remember that about once a month before the – this was back in the day where the, we had meter readers, and they would come around to the house, and they'd read the light meter. And about once a month before the meter, re- meter reader guy would come by the house, my dad would take the meter off the house, and I'd have to hold the flashlight for him. He'd roll the meter back. Because <laughs> otherwise we couldn't afford the electric bill. I guess the statute of limitations has run out <laughs> yeah, on that. Yeah, and he's dead, so you can't <laughs> yeah. get him now. I didn't know better back then, but you know that was, that was just the way things were. But that's, that was the only way to make ends meet because my parents just didn't make much money. Right, but they didn't have debt and they didn't complain. It was just that was life, right? We've just gotten away from that. But a lot of these decisions and, and like four hundred and one k plans are a great example. Of this. I get lots of emails from young people and they're like, you know, I want to I want to invest and I want to do this. It's like great. Start with your four hundred and one k plan, fully maximize that. You can put twenty six thousand dollars a year into it, whatever the number is right now. Divide that up by 12 months. That's what you put in every month. Well, I can't afford that. There's your first problem. It's tough decisions, right? And it's nobody's, it's nobody else's problem or responsibility. It's what we have to do for ourselves. And we have to make those choices. All right, wrap up the, uh, all right, wrap up the segment. Be right back. We'll wrap up the show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show. So this morning, uh, futures are pointing higher. Dow's up about 124 points. NASDAQ's up about 104 um, so again, a little bit of a bounce here in the market, not surprising. And, you know, markets are older, oversold enough here that we need a little bit of kind of a reflexive rally, just kind of, you know, get some of the negativity out of the markets over the last uh, couple of days. So again, you know, markets kind of work the opposite of what you would expect when they get fairly oversold. That provides the fuel for a bit of a rally. So the market rallies and everybody goes, oh, I guess that was the bottom. So they got to jump back in. Everybody gets all excited again. And you get a bit of a rally, and then you'll get another sell-off at some point. So, uh, you know, it's just how markets work. And, again, we've gotten oversold enough now to have a bit of a bounce. And it could last a day or two or three or a week. You know, I don't know how long it'll last. But, you know, you'll kind of get this um, rally here, and it'll be an opportunity to rebalance some risk. We're probably not over the kind of the – consolidation of the run-up earlier this year. We had five straight months of advances, very strong stretch of advances for the markets. Um, They got very overbought, very bullish, very quickly. And so the market will probably need to consolidate here for a bit. So we can still see some further weakness as we get into September. 
um, get a little bit of a rally here over the next week or so, then some additional weakness in September, and then you know, kind of work our way, you know, uh, kind of expect to grind here for a month or so. And then that'll set us up for kind of October, November, December. Again, it's kind of too far out to predict. Too many things can happen between now and then. But statistically speaking, when we just kind of look at, you know, average years, you know, this is kind of what you would expect, you know, kind of this consolidation for a month or so and then a rally into year end. And, and again, this year, a lot of performance, a lot of portfolio managers are behind the curve a bit. So, Expect a bit of a performance chase that'll help kind of fuel markets higher. Now, once we get into next year, you know, that's going to be a much different story. Um, the lag effect from a lot of these rate hikes will probably start to really, you know, take a bite on the economy a bit. And, you know, we'll start talking about Fed rate cuts, um, interest rates will have to come down. And depending on how fast that is occurring and how aggressive that slowdown is because of this more aggressive rate hiking campaign will, you know, really kind of provide the overarching backdrop for how markets perform next year and into 2025. So, you know, are, you know, is the proverbial, you know, bear market behind us or was just last year a correction? And, you know, we're going to resume the secular bull market that began back in 2009. There's a lot of open-ended questions that we'll have to work through as we get there. And again, you know, you can make a case for both sides, right? I can make a very bearish case for the economy and the markets going into next year, and I can make a bullish case for the markets. So, you know, everybody's got an opinion, and and that's is what it is. That's how markets work, and that's why you have a market, by the way, right? You know, it's always interesting that people get so animated over a, a comment that'll be made on the internet or somewhere else. And like, oh, he's wrong, and this blah, he's, he's an idiot, and that'll never happen. And it's like, well, that's how you have a market. You've got to have two opinions. If everybody agreed, you wouldn't have a market, right? There's no saying is that, you know, for every transaction, there's a buyer and a seller, and they both think they're right. But that's what a market is, right? If I'm selling something, I think it's overvalued, it's overpriced, so I'm selling it, I'm taking my money. And the guy that's buying it at an overpriced, you know, level is betting that it's going to go up further, right? I was explaining to uh, my oldest son over the weekend that there's a phenomenon in the markets called the greater fool theory, which is that when prices are going up, we are willing to overpay for an asset, right? We're going to overpay for this. And he was, you know, he was taught, we were talking about collectibles more than anything else. And I said, and this is the whole premise behind the stock market as well, as well as collectibles, is that there's this belief that there's always somebody willing to pay a higher price for something. But at, at some point, there may not be. And nobody wants what, whatever you think it's worth. Nobody's willing to pay that. And so if you want to sell it, then you're going to have to sell it at a cheaper price at some point. And, you know, this is, this is particularly true in, in the financial markets, is that we're all willing when prices are going up, it's like, oh, it's going to just go up forever, so I've got to keep paying for this. I've got to keep paying higher prices for this because it's never coming down again. I'm missing it. Right? How many times have you told yourself this story? And, but they do come down. Sometimes they come down a lot. <laughs> um, fundamentals matter. Valuations matter. All that matters. The question is, is when does somebody finally stand up and raise their hand and say, I'm not willing to pay that? 
if you're willing to sell it, I'll buy it from you from here. And then once the selling starts, that price of purchase gets lower and lower and lower and lower. And that's how you get these crashes. Remember, just last year, there was a lot of companies that were trading down 70, 80, 90% from their peaks. That's where the buyers were. Buyers were going, hey, I'll buy Roku from you at an 80% discount. Right? I'll buy some of these, you know, these disruptor stocks from you. Yeah, I'll buy those from you. 70, 80, 90% La Peloton, right? Zoom. Uh, Zoom is actually reporting earnings today, but that's, an, that's another good example. Remember, people were just like saying, oh, Zoom's going to take over the world. It's, you know, we're all just going to be video conferencing, and, and that stock was just running off to the moon, and you know, it lost about 80, 90% of its value at the end of the day because other competitors, right? I mean, there's Teams, there's Zoom, there's StreamYard, there's this, there's YouTube. You know, there's just all these other things that are out there. And there's no barrier to entry, right? And this, is, this is the problem for a lot of these companies. This is one thing that you've got to think about when you, when you buy into a company that you're really paying an overvalued space for. Let's talk about NVIDIA for a second. People are paying 40 times sales at the moment. Now, NVIDIA is going to report later this week. So it'll be very interesting to look at what they say. And look, I expect the report to be very good. I, I think the report will be great. But there's a there, but at 40 times price to sales, now it'll come down, they'll report sales. So let's say they drop from 40 times price to sales to 30. Okay. Still extremely expensive, no matter how you want to cut that cake. But see, the problem is, is that when you have a very successful business of any sort, what are you going to do? You're going to attract competitors. And so right now the belief is, is like NVIDIA owns the GPU AI market. They do for now. AI is not going away, right? It's going to be, you know, with the need to increase productivity and to reduce labor. AI is going to be very important for that. But the problem is, is that success breeds competition. And there's really not a huge barrier of entry. If I want to go out, I've got, I need capital, and I need an idea, and I need some technology. But there are a, a large number of companies that are coming to the market in the AI space. There's been a very large surge in the number of unicorns. These are companies that are generating a billion dollars worth of value in the AI space this year. Some of those are going to be building GPUs and chips and others, and some are software and other areas of AI. But the more successful that AI becomes, the more opportunity for competition there is. And so while... And while NVIDIA may own the GPU market for right now, AMD's out there. They're generating GPUs as well. Um, but there's other companies that come along. And there may be another company that comes along and builds a better GPU than NVIDIA for cheaper. And all of a sudden, those valuations are going to matter. Because see, in order to, for NVIDIA to justify, we've done the math for you on this show before, but for NVIDIA to, to justify NVIDIA's current price to sell, so they have to own basically 100% of the GPU market in the future. And it's just not going to happen. So at some point, that valuation model 
will have to correct itself. Right now, there's a very limited opportunity to get into that space. If you want to be in that space, there's only one choice, and that's pretty much NVIDIA or AMD at this point. NVIDIA is the clear winner. That won't always be the case. So these are things that you need to think about, you know, as we go forward. And when we're talking about investing, we're talking about valuations and, and speculation. You know, we're going to go through these phases where you have this speculative fervor. But eventually, those prices have to be justified by the fundamentals. And that's just a function of time until that plays out. And again, it doesn't mean next month, doesn't mean next year, right? These things can take a very long time to, to mature. But, you know, when, you know, when you're thinking about investing, and this goes in, and again, this, this idea of the greater fool theory, you know, there's, a, there's an old saying that says, if you're sitting around the poker table and you can't, you know, kind of figure out who the pigeon is, it's you. You're the pigeon. That's the greater fool theory. So when you're buying investments and you know that you're overpaying for them, it's okay. It's, over, it's okay to chase performance. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how you can make, you can make good money chasing performance. Just don't forget to sell because at some point you're the pigeon in that game. Just know when to fold your cards and walk away from the table. All right, wraps up the show for the day. Uh, be back tomorrow for Tuesday. We'll uh, get some earnings out today. Starting to kind of wrap up earnings season. Got a couple of big reports this week. Uh, of course, they'll be kind of moving markets, particularly NVIDIA, later this week. But if you get by the website, our latest newsletter is out, um, as well as our daily commentary and um, lots of other stuff. All at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Since your questions and comments, let us know what we can do to help you. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.